Beer Edge is excited to announce a partnership with Pro Brewer that will bring original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. Check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday and visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Great Lakes Brewing is one of the oldest and most established breweries in the country with a business built on tradition, but they're also working to keep up with the times and finding balance with trends. This week, a conversation with their brewmaster and their brand coordinator, and that comes up in a moment. But first, we're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the support of the companies that are committed to independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. And with that in mind, I hope you'll check out Stomp Stickers. Stomp is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as beer labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stomp's website features an easy-to-use design tool, low-quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code CRAFTBEER15 for 15% off your first order. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. When you think about Great Lakes Brewing, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter likely comes to mind. It's the flagship beer of a brewery that has helped shape craft beer in America and has fostered the career of many in the industries. This week, I'm joined by Mark Hunger. He's the brewmaster, and I'm also joined by Michael Williams. He's the brand coordinator who works in the brewery's marketing department. We're going to be talking about history and the future, recipe development, flavor, and shifting consumer tastes. And I start off by asking Mark, who's been around since almost the beginning of this Ohio-based brewery, about his title and how it all came about. Here's our conversation. Like I said, I started uh, when I started here, nobody really had a title, uh, honestly, um, except uh, uh, the one person who happened to be the brewmaster at the time, probably. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> outside of that, you're a brewery worker. Um, I started in, in quality control, which is critical. Uh, when I started here, um, nobody had a science background here and half or more of brewing is science. Um, managing yeast, uh, managing the chemistry of the beer, so on and so forth. So um, that was a, a pretty big aspect, I think, that I brought here. Um, not to be high on myself, but like I said, nobody, nobody else really had any experience. Um, but and then uh, as I worked here, um, related that to to brewing, uh, went to uh, Siebel Institute Brewing School in Chicago, uh, took some brewing quality control classes to relate what I knew about science to beer, um, which was which was pretty cool. And then uh, throughout that whole time, I was brewing, um, worked on the pub system a little bit, uh, form- formulating some recipes, so on and so forth. Uh, and just uh, throughout those years, um, first nine years that I worked here, um, just had a lot of, a lot of time in all areas of the, of producing beer. So, uh, when the position opened, it was sort of a, uh, I don't want to say it was a natural progression, but, um, I had a lot of experience in all areas, but my heart and soul, uh, and the owners knew this too, was to produce quality beer, uh, because I had that backbone in, in QC, so uh, um, that's sort of how, sort of how I fell into the role. And when I took on the role in 06, interestingly enough, enough, it was not, I didn't have the title 
the sacred title of brewmaster per se. It was a manager of brewing and quality control. Um, one of the reasons behind that was uh, um, a fellow by the name of Thane Johnson, who was uh, a retired brewmaster, but worked with the Conway brothers to actually build up the brewery as a consultant. Super nice guy um, at that, you know, he was in his 70s at that time. Uh, and he was the brewmaster of Schmitz and Great oh, Lakes cool. had gave him or he had the technical title of master brewer. Um, so they essentially didn't want anybody else, I don't think, uh, with a, a brewmaster or master brewer title, which was totally fine to me because Thane was the best guy in the world. Um, he I forget if uh, this was before or after he passed. And eventually my title became brewmaster. Um, but the duties didn't change whatsoever. It was the same, same job, just different title. So do you same. remember going back to the beginning of your career when you were in the pub mashing in for the first time? Do you, do you remember what that beer was? Absolutely, I do. Um, well, uh, the first time in training, uh, it was a Dortmunder, um, but the very first beer I brewed professionally uh, solo, which was literally like a week and a half after I started, um, was a Rockefeller Bach. Oh, yeah. Bach beer. Rockefeller um, Bach. Is that something that you all still make? Uh, well, it was a, a Doppelbach. Um, it's gone through a couple name changes. Yeah. <laughs> We did that as the what Doppelrock, I think, a couple yeah. years, like five, six years ago, and then it's been a pub beer. But man, that that's a good beer. I love that beer. Yeah, that was the very first beer I made, perfect. And it's actually, you know, I'm a huge lager guy. Drink a lot of Elliot Ness, so I like those, you know, darker, full-bodied lagers. Uh, to this day, it's I think it's one of our absolute best beers. Okay. It's the mother's milk, right, Mark? Exactly. Ness. Yep. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's usually something that you would call uh, a stout, uh, the mother's milk. Um, in what context, uh, Michael, are you are you saying that's the is it is it the cash cow of the brewery? Doesn't the, it is it is not. Um, yeah. It's one of our first two beers. So that and the Dortmunder Gold were our first two beers. But you know, in today's context, it's we're like a lot of the rest of packaging breweries and that we've moved more towards hops, but Mark, that's, that's kind of your nickname for Elliot Ness. Does that go back to Thane too? The mother's milk thing? Uh, Thane called Dortmund for that because that was his beer. He loved that beer. <laughs> and Ness is, and, uh, Ness is yours. Though. Yeah. Elliot Ness is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. It's just a term of affection for you. Yeah, not using it in its uh, most technical sense, John, I suppose. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty good to know. Um, it's interesting that you bring up a, a, a shift towards hops because I, I've had some of the IPAs uh, that, that you all have put out over the years. Um, but it is, it's, it's, I think probably impossible for somebody to mention your brewery who knows beer, who doesn't almost immediately think of Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Is, is, is that fair? I, I think so that, you know, and of course the, the Christmas sale, which is the seasonal, the seasonal favorite, uh, the last two months of the year. But yeah, when it comes to, you know, like those revered, uh, classic examples of classic styles, it fits as fits is pretty much it. I'm sipping on one right now. Did John, do you find that bottle in the back of your fridge? I, I did. Nice. Um, revered though. I mean, so Mark, as you're, as when you are the brewmaster of a brewery that has a revered beer, you know, and, and, and Michael, I know marketing is, is, is your thing. So, um, you know, you're going to toss out lofty words, but I, I'd actually agree <laughs> with you on that. Um, sure. uh, I say that as a, a beer nerd too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's the official <laughs> beer nerd designation as opposed yeah. to, uh, yeah. in addition to approved copy. Um, yes, exactly. But, but Mark, when, when, when words like that are tossed around beers that you're ultimately responsible for, what is the weight like on a brewer's shoulders for something like that? Um, you know, 
obviously it, it, it has some significance. Um, um, what do you mean by it? Well, wait for that particular, particular brand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you have people who regularly buy it, who know that beer like the back of their hands, who have, um, you know, supported the brewery through the purchase of that beer for so many years. I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do to change it around or freshen it up. Or we've seen other breweries, you know, take their flagships, take their beloved beers and try to, you know, make line extensions out of it, which sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, But for, I I think for a beer like Edmund Fitzgerald Porter, there's got to be a personal connection that a lot of drinkers feel Sure. That you have to then, as as, as a brewer, I'm 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 assuming here, um, you have to meet those expectations regularly, sure. over and over again. And I'm just sort of curious as to, you know, what's that like from your standpoint? Um, you know, f- having a quality background like I do, um, um, you know, I treat consistency and quality with the utmost respect, and I don't. Um, I revere, I revere all of our brands really. Obviously, uh, uh, M.N. Fitzgerald uh, is the most awarded. Um, I myself walked across the stage at the GABF to get a medal for it, which is really, really cool. Yeah, and uh, that's awesome. Um, in terms of reverence for the beer, it's the one beer, and I put a lot of clout behind this. That if I talk to other brewers, they be sure to, they're sure to bring up. Um, which to me means a lot. And, um, but in, in terms of, you know, as I handle, as I treat it as a, as a brewmaster, as a quality control person, um, you know, it's right up there with, with everything else that we make. I don't, I don't necessarily treat anything above anything else. Um, my ultimate goal is to make the highest quality Edmund Fitzgerald and the highest quality Dortmunder and highest quality every other beer we make. Um, but in terms of the reverence for the beer, um, I put that that definitely has it on its shoulders because like I said, in terms of, uh, peer recognition, it is pretty incredible. Um, way back in the day, um, when we did our 25th anniversary, uh, we did a collaboration with the Schutz Brewery out in Oregon mm-hmm. and, um, we did it with Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, well, we, it was a Porter-based. Uh, yeah, Black Butte and Edmund. Yeah, I remember Ex- that year. Exactly. Yeah, it was a Porter-based uh, um, collaboration. It wasn't Edmund Fitzgerald, but one of the main drivers behind that is because you know they have that Black Butte Porter, and mm-hmm. we have Edmund Fitzgerald, and they're both you know classic beers that we make so we thought let's we did a collaboration made a porter so it was, it was a great experience <laughs> that was right can, can can you walk me through that because porter being such a classic style um having an established you know established guidelines and established recipe if you're making a porter with the shoots of all places which also knows uh how to make great porters going back to the john harris days um how did you guys approach that? Like, was it, Hey, we've always been wanting to try, you know, Citra or I know you guys didn't do that, but um, how do you, how do two Porter breweries approach making a Porter Um, for a special occasion? You know, it was fun. Uh, Sat down and talked with uh, uh, brewmasters there and brewers here and, you know, talked about what we liked in a porter, um, what um, you know, talk about our our particular beers that we make, and then what we would, uh, if we could come up with a brand new porter, what would we do differently, or what could we you know dress it up with or get a little crazy with, right. and uh, we sort of took it from there and um, uh, made a beer with some muscovado sugar, and uh, right. yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a it was a good beer. Um, little smoked malt imperial it, because it was uh, what was it imperial smoked porter I believe yeah yeah we barely um, a little bit of that too yeah and so there but there wasn't a flavor that was over the top so we just really had a fun time with it and um, really it was uh, very much a we did trial batches of it and sent 
samples back and forth uh, to try, and we really nailed down what we wanted. It was not like the modern day collaborations where you practically sometimes meet up the day on brew day and come up with something. (laughs) This was like a beer that we developed over the course of like three or four months with like several trial batches and stuff like that. So, but, but that also probably speaks to the nature of the collaboration. Like if again, two quarter breweries are going to get together, you guys just can't slap something together because it could ultimately hurt your two core brands. Yeah. Sure. Like, oh, this sure. is a bullshit porter. These guys don't know how to make <laughs> porter anymore. We should. Yeah, it it was probably the most serious collaboration I've ever been involved with, and uh, but one of the funnest collaborations I've ever been involved with. Yeah, Michael, I want to jump back to you because you spent time in the pub, uh, giving tours, uh, interacting with the public a lot, and I'm I always get a kick out of being at a brewery and seeing like real fans walk through. And usually the older the brand, uh, the more excitement there is, especially for first time visitors. Are there interactions that you had back in that, that phase of your career that stand out that really sort of show, I don't know, the impact that Great Lakes has had? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when when I was serving, so that would have been 2012 through 2015, we were um, like a lot of other brewers our size at that time, early 2010s. It was all, uh, you know, rosy futures up 15, 20% a year and stuff. And the things are just going totally nuts here. And this was like, it's crazy because it's only 10 years ago, right? But like, there are, I think, 10 breweries in our neighborhood now. Um, you know, Ohio City in, in downtown Cleveland is kind of like the brewing district for for Cleveland. But man, in 2012, I think it was just Market Garden across the street. So like, you know, if if you were a beer fan and you came to Cleveland, like you were going to Great Lakes, that was where you were going. There's no question about it, right? So that was a really cool experience while I was I was on the floor, and you know, people are. We're so excited to try the beers brewery fresh. You know, they may have been traveling from Buffalo or Chicago or um, Cincy or wherever, right? And just to, it's, I always thought of it like a pilgrimage, right? And as a beer, big beer fan myself, for like when I go out of state and visit the breweries, I'm really passionate about it. I always think about it like a pilgrimage. And that's kind of how it felt for a lot of guests in the pub. And then especially, when I was given tours and people got to see those, you know, they would walk into the brew house where the Mark watches over every day. And like their minds would just be totally blown seeing these 75 barrel, uh, you know, the 75 barrel brew house. And I tell them, you know, this, yes, we're a large brewer compared to like the mom and pop place down the street. They don't know that, the AV plant down 71 in Columbus is doing vastly more than we are, but yeah. So yeah, it was just really cool, you know, and being a 30 plus year old brewer, um, people of all ages, just like, you know, coming here and falling in love with the brewery again, just because we're hanging out and having beers, you know, it's, it's really fun. But so 10 years now have passed since then and 9,000 breweries in the country and pandemic aside, um, in conversations with other legacy craft brewers at this point, uh, the ones who have been around for you know, 30 years or so, um, it, it, it can be hard to capture new eyeballs um, or even old eyeballs when there's so much choice that's out there these days. What, what have you all been doing to stay part of the conversation, to stay relevant in, 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 in the conversation? Yeah, that's that's huge for us, and that's that's huge for us from the brewery campus experience, if you will, which obviously has been tough regardless the past two years, and we're finally starting to kind of get back on our feet fully with that. But then when it comes to like the beers that Mark and his team are brewing um, in the production facility, we still we still make all the classics that we've already kind of talked about, right? Your Dortmunder and Eddie Fitz and Commodore Perry and all that. Um, but we have kind of, you know, we, we, we love our long time audience and we got to keep them right. And my goodness, if we 
we didn't make some of those classic beers anymore. I'd be like, well, now I can't, where am I going to find a lager? Right. Uh, thankfully more craft lagers are coming around, but, um, they're not a lot, a lot you can just pick up in a six pack. Right. So, but now we're doing more, um, you know, styles that are just household names from the past five years, like hazy IPA. And, um, we have a wheat beer with the citrus that happens to be low calorie and all that. So kind of, attracting some newer eyes that way, like you were saying, right. With, um, just the newer, I don't call them flashy, you know, because th these are enduring styles, you know, they're just new. Yeah. Um, and it really, it pumps me up, like talking to people about those and tasting those because as a traditional brewer, which we're really proud to, to make those traditional styles, you know, I think people kind of like started to see us as like, you know, we've been around for a long time and a lot, a lot of our fans are older and stuff, but we can do yeah. all the newer stuff too. Right. So I, but I guess that's what I was getting at is how, how are you having those conversations? Like, how do you convince somebody who thinks that you guys are the old Porter brewery that they should be trying your hazy IPA? Cause I mean, right. it, it is so vastly different. It is. And it's not a, uh, triple dry hopped with, uh, you know, galaxy and, you know, 20 bucks a four pack or anything. Well, then either. you guys so shouldn't little, even be part of this conversation. If you're not doing that, my God, I was, I was going to say the, the sit, the, the <laughs> you guys are doing it wrong. I don't mean to give you business advice, I've, but I've had this in the back of my head since we were talking about the collab, but you said something about Citra and I'm like, dude, if we had just double dry hop the, the Porter with Citra, we would have sold three times as much, you know, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough. Poor Mark, it's, Mark just wants to leave now. Mark's yeah. like, no, we're not going to double dry hop our Mark is, Mark is not going to let me anywhere near the brewery again. So not that I do anything other than talk. <laughs> not that I do anything that, but talk in there anyways. But but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge, right? It's, it's not easy. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, from my perspective, especially as someone who like speaks to the public a lot, um, it's really repetition. And as an educator too, right. It's, it's almost just like, kind of like education. It's like you repeat this message that is true about us um, kind of over and over again and in different ways for different audiences. Right. And uh, over time, people just kind of start to get it. And I, I, that experience of coming down here and trying, like when I do a class um, I'll do a class. I, I just did one on IPAs down here. So talked about all four of the core IPAs. And some people probably came down there because they're like, I'm learning all about Commodore Perry, which has been around since 92, right? Yeah. But then they tried Hayes Craft or Tropicoastal, the newer IPAs, and like, oh, okay. You know, and just driving trial and stuff that way. So, but it's it's not easy. That's for sure. Yeah. Mark, getting back into the brew house, when word comes down, when decisions are made saying, all right, this is how the beer industry is going right now. Uh, it's hazy IPAs. It's, uh, I mean, I see you guys are doing hard seltzers as well, or ranch water. Um, oh yeah. As all of these things started to happen around the beer world and that's where the conversation was going. And you said, okay, like we're going to have to do tropical IPAs. We're going to have to, you know, bring some haze, uh, to our tap lines. That's not a Hefeweizen. Um, where did those conversations start? Because I can't imagine it was like fully natural for you guys. Right. Well, you're uh, this day and age, you always, you always have one eye out for what's coming out, you know? Uh, and you gotta, gotta be able to innovate and um, see what's trending uh, and stuff like that. We have a meeting uh, every couple of weeks, uh, product uh, portfolio development meeting. Uh, and, you know, one of our head of sales is there and marketing and they're constantly bringing up, uh, not that, you know, as a brewer, we don't have a, an idea, bringing up stuff that's trending and, and hot out there. So um, inevitably, you know, uh, you got to, if something, if there's a particular style, it's hot and it's growing and, you know, you gotta, you gotta be flexible. You gotta be innovative and you gotta be able to change uh, to the growing styles. So, uh, so, all right. So then 
let me just use Hayescraft as as an example then, since that's your 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 hazy offering. How'd you guys build that recipe? Um, we did <clears throat> several batches on our pub uh, over over a couple of years, um, and then you know that obviously they sold well at the pub. Um, and then, uh, it was determined, Hey, we we're going to have to make one for package or want to make one for package. And, uh, we have a pilot system, uh, in the brewery, a little two barrel pilot system that is sort of emulates our, our production plant, our production brew house. Uh, and we started developing one on there. Um, I'd have to say, uh, not, you know, brewing, uh, purposely brewing a hazy IPA before, uh, it was, it was a learning experience because it was sort of, uh, an area that we hadn't really had too much familiarity with. So, um, it was a learning experience and I think we got a good one now. Uh, but we definitely had some batches that were not the greatest and, uh, had to change them and, and came out with what we have. Because ultimately, I mean, you want it to taste good because then it'll sell well. But um, for those batches that didn't work out, do you recall what it was about them? Was it just like ratios were off or was it just not tasting right to you guys? Because I I imagine there's got to be some desire, even if you're not going to you know be pouring these in your glass all the time you know, that you're going to want to drink a pint of this when it, when it, when it comes out. So like you sure. know, in-house flavor has to, or in-house preferences have to uh, be reflective of, of, of the brewery, but um, what was off with some of those and, and how'd you fix it? Well, Hayes, or address uh, Hayes, it. Yeah. H- yeah. Hazy IPA. It's sort of a, there's two facets to it. Um, you have the hop profile uh, and then you have the physical appearance, the haze profile. Um so sometimes our hops would be on, uh, but the haze, it was fall totally clear <laughs> and we didn't have any haze. So it was, uh, it was sort of a balancing act between the two. Uh, and I had to have to say, you know, we're pretty familiar with hops and we tried some different hops and we were able to, I think, nail the hop thing down pretty quickly, but it was the, the whole, uh, the protein haze and to keep the haze suspended, um, was something we were, uh, unfamiliar with, um, you know, obviously knew something about it, but something that we have not purposely worked for in a beer like that. So that took, um, utilizing some different malts, some different ingredients, uh, and stuff like that, some different procedures, uh, that we'd never done before. Uh, and it was definitely some trial and error. Um, so the, the malt, the haze aspect um, was a lot more difficult than the hops. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I remember some of those, those early batches and, you know, I volunteer, I willingly volunteer myself for uh, helping us do R and D for our products. Right. So one of my favorite things is um, when we're, we're coming out with a new beer and we throw that the first batch on the pub and then I kind of think about it and taste and, then we get the next batch and we successively, you know, we did, I think half a dozen batches for Hayescraft. We did at least 10 for Crushworthy, the citrus wheat. And just yeah. having that aha moment, right. When we like finally nail it, it's, it's a really cool thing. Seeing the growth of the growth of a beer throughout its like infancy. Right. Has there been anything um, or actually, let me just go back. So, so how'd you solve the malt problem? Um, you know, a lot of it was trial and error, uh, asking advice from, from, from some other brewers, uh, which I got some, you know, good advice from a few people. And then it was, you know, trial batches, really trial and error and, and, uh, seeing how it performed. Um, definitely a learning experience too. definitely learn some stuff for sure. Yeah. We're going to have more in just a moment, but first, thanks to these companies who support Drink Beer, Think Beer, and help keep it on the air. Stump Stickers is a reliable resource for printed items such as beer labels and boxes, keg collars, coasters, and more. Visit stompstickers.com and use code CRAFTBEER15 for 15% off of your first order. 
And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now back to the conversation. One of the, the cool things about your brewery is having the pub as well as you know the big production brewery as well um because you can use the pub to to sort of test consumer flavors uh or preferences yeah very true has there been a beer or beers over the years that was done at the pub maybe as the intention of a one-off that the popularity necessitated that it needed to go into full production um Man, I'm sure there was. Uh, trying to think. Yeah, we have so many that are like, you know, the tough thing about for us going from a seven barrel brew pub system to a, you know, hundred thirty thousand barrel distribution model is like, we have, I can say a minimum half a dozen beers that we get. Um, you know, the messages every day about uh, whether it's through the company email or social or stuff like Rye the Tiger, the Rye IPA, Alberta Clipper, the Chocolate yeah. Raspberry Porter. Um, Rye the Tiger I, was definitely one that uh, yeah. developed at the pub and made its way to package. And a lot of those, like, they do just well enough to be in package for a little bit, but they don't, they never quite go all the way and stay. I don't think there's one in in the lineup right now that was truly just like a brew pub beer that like blew that truly blew up but we had we have if we could make small badges and just get it to those people we'd absolutely we'd make a lot of people happy there's definitely some uh some uh style some of our offerings started in the pub oatmeal stout that was done in the pub uh, i mean that's pretty yeah. pretty straightforward but yeah. still that was used to be a pub only thing um sure oh, i remember that beer yeah yeah we have that in package uh yeah so beer it's in our great. rotation that was in the public Lakey monster that was um a pub only beer for a while yeah mark mark yeah. has a slightly better perspective than me being here having been here for like 25 years yeah. <laughs> as opposed to me um when you think about beers, though, that you want to get out into the marketplace, uh, hazy IPA, I guess, would make sense. Um, but you also have to, I imagine, find diversity and balance so that you're not cannibalizing off of some of the other beers or any of the other beers yeah. that, that that you have out there. Like, you, know, you guys putting out a regular stout would probably just confuse people who are already drinking your porter, right? Right, right. You know... You got to, unfortunately, some of that happens. Um, you know, we put out another IPA. It might take a little bit from one of our other IPAs that we currently have in package. Um, but I mean, now we came out with um, our Crushworthy uh, Locale Citrus Wheat. I, I truly think that's bringing in some new drinkers. Um, and might I don't think that's really cannibalizing from another style because it's so it's right. pretty different yeah. from others. Um, but you know, if you come up with another IPA, whether it's hazy or regular, any IPA, it's gonna have some effect. Um, and we see that. We definitely see that. Yeah, but then the overall bucket grows, right? So yeah. Harry might be down a little bit, but the overall IPA bucket's a little bigger. Yeah, you come out with an IPA, you get you know, I don't know, 10,000 cases and Perry's down 500 and, you know, okay. you get cumulative growth. I, I guess the reason I brought that up was I was walking through the store last week and I saw, because it is that time of year as we're in late February, uh, the familiar Conway's Irish Ale. Nice. And it occurred to me in that moment as I was sort of staring at it for just a second on the shelf of, well, you guys can't put out a stout this time of year because of the porter. I mean, maybe you could, um, but going different from the expected norm of mid-March, 
I, I imagine has had some dividends over the years because you guys already have a, a you know a dark beer on regular rotation. But having an Irish beer or an Irish themed beer uh, that's not a stout yeah. has to grab some attention. I think so. Yeah, and for that one too, I mean, Conway's for us is so big because in part because of the story behind it, right? Pat and Dan Conway are the co-owners and the gent on the uh, the label for that one is um, Pa Conway, their grandfather. And he was a um, traffic officer about maybe a mile from the brewery, um, pretty close to downtown Cleveland. So that's the beer certainly on its own. And the fact that it's a little different, right? It's, it's not a dry stout. It's not a Guinness type or whatever, but you know, we're, we're a regional brewer and all that, but at the core, we're, we're also really Cleveland and, and that Conway's story really touches so many, so many people's hearts here in town. So, I mean, is that true? Like, do the stories actually penetrate or is it, is it the flavor of the beer at the end of the day or is it a combination of both? Definitely a combination. Would, yeah. <laughs> okay. a, com- a combination, especially naturally the further out you go, you know, like, I mean, when you were walking down that grocery store uh, store aisle, like you wouldn't pull someone aside and say, Hey, look, it's Con- Pa Conway, the owner, you know, the, the grandfather <laughs> yeah. of Great Lakes co-owners. Like they'd be like, Great Lakes, Cleveland, Ohio, the West, you know? Um, but for us here in town, yeah, that's the Conways know a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people have managed to get to know Pat and Dan. So that story definitely does resonate. But if, the liquid going in the bottle or can, you know, wasn't the high quality stuff that Mark was putting out, then it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Mark, can I, there's Irish red or Irish ale or, you know, whatever. I think a lot of drinkers of a certain age are going to remember George Killian. Uh, I don't even know if that's still being made by cores yeah. or not. Um, but it is one of those styles where, it pops up this time of year where it's talked about a, a little bit this time of year. Uh, I guess you guys sort of lead that conversation uh, and then largely forgotten about, and I'm speaking in generalities, but you know, for the, for the rest of the year mm-hmm. um, for those who are younger or uninitiated into what a proper Irish ale, Irish red should taste like. Can you walk us through what you believe that style should represent what I believe, uh, and this isn't gone by any BJCP guidelines or anything. <laughs> oh, perfect. I'd be disappointed if it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, first and foremost, uh, a beer like that should be, um, well, it's going to have a strong malt, uh, background, uh, typically like a crystal malt. It's going to have, um, you're going to be able to taste the malt, uh, the hops are not, Hops will complement the malt. They're not. They're not going to be overpowering. Um, so you you're going to want to smell the malt as well as taste it. And then, like I say, the hops are just going to complement that. Um, and it should be a drinkable beer. Um, it's not going to be something like you know a super high powered stout or something like that. Because let's face it, St. Patrick's Day, you know. You're going to have festive things going on. Uh, it's going to be a time when you'd want a, a sessionable beer that you can drink several of and not just be overpowered with one or two. So um, the, the hops we use are fairly mild, um, uh, mild hops. So like I said before, they're not going to, they're going to complement. They're not going to overpower. Um, and then it's two row malt, crystal malt. Um, that's going to give a, a, a nice multi backbone to it. Uh, it's pretty straightforward beer. It really is. It's not, um, it's not complicated. Is there a case to be made for non-complicated beer these Absolutely. days? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> there are so many brewers out there that make the most complicated, have the most complicated recipes and complicated beers. And they miss the fact of the fundamentals of brewing. Uh, I always say we get people in here, uh, workers, uh, new hires, whatever, 
first day on the job and showing them around, showing them the ropes, so to speak. And I'll tell them, you know, being a brewer is not all malt and hops. Being a brewer is your glorified janitor. Because if you're, <laughs> if you're not, if you don't have a clean brewery, you're not going to make good beer, no matter how complicated the recipe is. Um, so I think a lot of people, and just like uh, whoever you're talking about with exploding cans, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, before we were, right. we, before we started recording, we were they're, they're uh, missing, lamenting uh, non uh, shelf stable beers. Yeah, right. Uh, they're missing the fundamentals. Um, like our Dortmunder is a very, um, I'm not going to go through the recipe, but it's, I, I talk to people about it and they're like, that's it. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, of course we have our lager yeast that, that adds a lot of character to it, but it, it, you don't have to have a super complicated recipe to make a pretty complex, great beer. So Michael, when you're doing education now for the brewery and you're out there so many of the younger beer drinkers that 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 come up and i know i'm sounding like the old gen xer now but like you know like gen z these days um uh, when when they're when they're coming into the to, to the scene but like all they've or what they they've experienced from from the beginning is you know hazies or things that have gummy bears in them or you know all lactose everything and everything else in between what is your job like or what is your mission like when you're like hey try this porter based on a historic recipe or you know here is you know a dortmunder or here is right. you know commodore perry which has bitterness and you can see through that's it. right <laughs> um this unusual i what that's not an ipa what are you talking about right but i mean but but that's but that's true or yeah. you know or that's the ipa that my grandfather suffered through um right. because of all of the bitterness uh how, how do you approach that Get, yeah. is there a path forward to bring younger beer drinkers back to classic recipes because there I, has been so much change and so much innovation. Yeah, I think there can be. So I have the, I'm the in-between between X and Z, right? I'm a, a millennial and I'm, a, as I mentioned before, in addition to being our educator and stuff, I'm just a big beer nerd and I love and revere the classics. And I also really dig some of the crazy new stuff that, you know, my buddies around town and the small tap rooms are making. So like having that for, for me personally, as an, as an educator, like already having that, that passion for both helps a lot right there. I love a good pastry stout and not something I'm going to drink every day, but I can relate. Right. Um, and then I think it kind of goes back to the storytelling that we were dipping into with Conway's too. Um, I really love the history behind these styles. And um, when you kind of trace, when I teach my IPA class, I actually start with hazies and then work back. And it's, I think people are really captivated by seeing this is of course, limited, limited audiences, right? Um, so we can, it's tough to do this for 10,000 people at a time, but you can get people in a room and tell that story of beer itself, right? And like, it's a living thing. It's a growing thing, just like we all are. And trace that history back from where we are today with Hazy and see there, even though it looks different and tastes different, there are a lot of shared uh, processes and obviously ingredients and all that. And I think people are really, they really enjoy seeing that. That's part of the allure of going to a class or um, watching a, a tasting live, you know, on Facebook or whatever. You get that story, you get enchanted. And once you understand why older things are the way they are. I think that kind of opens that door, right. For people to go back and then they try it and they, they kind of get it right. Like, and when I'm talking about bitterness, it's because you're bringing up the bitterness for, for Commodore Perry, you know, I'll ask people, you like black coffee or do you like, you know, use analogies, right. Um, do you like hot sauce? All these learned tastes that um, we didn't like when we were kids, but you learn to appreciate them and, um, see their complexities, the more you taste them and, and grow and all that. So, yeah. yeah. Mark, is there a style of beer that you wish was talked about more or got more respect among beer drinkers? 
Um, I'm, I think the style of starting to get, get a little more respect, uh, loggers and, you know, classic loggers. Um, we obviously started off as a lager brewery. Um, and I think, I think it's getting, starting to get more respect in the craft world. Um, a lot of craft breweries, I feel we're almost afraid to make lagers. Um, you know, it's so complex or some, I don't know. Uh, they're starting to make more of them now. And I, I think it's, uh, um, getting more respect now, which is good to see. What about you, Michael? Is there a style that you'd love to see get a little bit more respect? Yeah. You know, I'm glad that loggers are coming back. And I know you guys, John, you and your crew are big logger fans with the pills and rock beer and all that. Mark, you want to make a, a rock beer in the, in the pub with Steve Foreman, make John sure, a happy person. We've made one before. <laughs> yeah. No, John's Look at you pandering. I love I know. it. I got a pander, I love, dude. I love the pander. <laughs> the group appreciates it. Hey, exactly. We got it. We got to give you, we got to give you some love, right? Boost those numbers. Well, so. thank you. But I would love, um, I don't know. I just had some, uh, some goose like a couple days ago. We, we were just in, down in Florida for vacation, um, came back and kind of as a celebratory, like last beer before going back to work, I just popped up in a, the goose Armand and Gaston. And I was just like, man, I just, I know it's, this is about, this is the least likely beer style to ever make a big comeback that I'm talking about right now, but it'd be really cool if you saw some more wild fermentation like that. You know, I know we got some American wilds out there, but like just old school goose and all that. Love. Um, So I've been asking folks on the show, if you could, uh, the, the premise is my wife and I were rewatching The Good Place and uh, there's a whole part of the show where you can walk through a green door and be transported anytime, any place with anybody that you wanted. And so if such technology existed on this point of existence um, and Mark, you could finish this conversation and walk through a green door and be at any pub or any brewery with anybody that you wanted where would you want to go? Who do you want to be with? Would be in your class. Wow. Man, I have to think about that one. Um, hmm. Michael, you want to jump in? I can because I'm a cheater and I listen to the show. So I knew you were going to ask that. So <laughs> um, I've been reading the, uh, the Silmarillion by Tolkien. Uh, and then, you know, this, the background of Lord of the Rings and all that, and just a fascinating world. So to to hang out in an English pub and have a a pint of cask bitter and hang out with J.R.R. Tolkien would be pretty rad. And I that promise I, I did not plan that in advance. That just came to me during the show. <laughs> all right. Mark, he bought you some time. Yeah. Um, wow. I think... Uh, hanging out at um, maybe Sierra Nevada in like 1981 (laughs) (laughs) when they're developing uh, Sierra Nevada pale ale Um, and even just being a fly on the wall there. I think that would be a fascinating time to see that. Okay. Uh, One more bonus question for you guys then. Uh, is there something in the tanks at Great Lakes right now that has not seen the light of day that you're eager to get in front of people that will soon be in front of people that you're eager for them to taste? I think so. Brewmaster, what you got something in mind in particular? Yeah. Um, we have a, uh, we have some, we've got a couple things in the works. Um, we've got a variety pack for our, Crushworthy locale wheat coming out um, with some different flavors, with some different fruit purees. Uh, uh, watermelon uh, is one, grapefruit and lemon lime, uh, which uh, these all sound like traditional Great Lakes beers. Yeah. <laughs> And I think of Great Lakes, I'm like, oh, yeah, watermelon. Yeah, watermelon. Yeah, but, you know, it's this <laughs> watermelon puree that we use and it just it really tastes good. Yeah. It's so, like hell, hell or high watermelon esque. That's my hey, wife's it's, 
it's innovation, man. You gotta, yeah. you gotta yeah. change with the times. Adapt or die. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, I'm glad you guys are still out there and still making the classics and still pushing the envelope and uh, still giving us a reason to look forward to St. Patrick's Day for something that is not a a stout. So, um, thanks for thanks for taking the time this week. Thanks for being on the show and thanks for sharing insight of what's happening in Cleveland these days. I'm 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 eager to get back there and. Uh, hopefully hoist a, a, a pint with you both. Sure. Let us All know right. when you're here, John. We appreciate it. As always, you can email me with guest suggestions, thoughts, or whatever's on your mind. My email is John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Go check out beeredge.com for all of our This Week in Rauk Beer and Defend Pilsner merch. And make sure that you follow along on all the various social medias at The Beer Edge. Of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates and ways to keep us on the air, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. And be sure to check out these sponsors, including Stomp Stickers. Stomp is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as beer labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stomp's website features an easy to use design tool, low quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code craftbeer15 for 15% off your first order. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers, whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. As always, a reminder to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Still, the Spear has new episodes on every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. On this show, Nate Schweber, he does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.